From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 53 of Connecting with Walt. I am your host and his historian Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, producer, and good friend Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm great. How are you, Michael? I'm doing well. So, you know, we. St- I think I have a lot of the heavy lifting and planting and transplanting in the gardens done. Good. So, Very um, good. Now, it, now it's just doing a lot of the little stuff, you know, vegetable yeah. gardens and well, trimming my topiaries, you know, things like that. Well, so Hopefully by the time this is actually out, there will be no more random snowstorms happening anywhere throughout the country because <laughs> as of the time we're recording this, that is still happening. And I know people it are is. getting very irritated. So yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of um, ebbs and I don't know, ebbs and flows or something with winter this year all around the country. It's like, uh, like, you know, people I know, they say it'll be 70 degrees one day and then it's, it's, they're having snow the next yeah. And even out here, we'll have it'll be upper seventies, and then, and then it's in the thirties. You know, the the following evening, with you know, we're having thunderstorms, and and it's just bizarre. It's, so uh, yeah, no, yeah. and for us, it's I'll take any little relief from the heat that we can get, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's we're we're facing we're facing those scary eighties basically uh, every day now, and it's when i get to be happy about the fact that my electricity bill is going to start dramatically rising after after it only running maybe a day or two a month for the past couple months but yeah well hopefully everybody will um be enjoying spring very soon and that yes. their flowers will start to bloom and they won't have to shovel anything anymore for a while so but um, but what, what Craig and I are doing in this episode is we are continuing the series, um, 60 Years of Disneyland, that I started over on the Disney Unplugged Disneyland edition. In uh, previous episodes of Connecting with Walt, we talked about 60 Years of Disneyland and New Millennium, 2000 to 2005. In part one, we covered events in a resort's history in 2000, starting with the 45th anniversary of Disneyland up to the debut of the largest expansion in Disneyland's history in 2001. In part two, last week, we talked about 2001, from the opening of Disney's California Adventure to the attacks against the United States on 9-11 and the effect it had on the Disneyland Resort. And in this episode, Craig and I are going to take you through the years of 2002 and 2003 at the Disneyland Resort. So, so Craig, set the stage for us. What were you doing in 2002? I would have been going into my, oh gosh, what year of high school would have been. I graduated in 2005, so that would have, I I was doing stuff. I was young and stupid. 
I was probably getting into <laughs> trouble. We'll just go with that. Oh, okay. Oh, you know, I me, mean, I was teaching and, you know, raising children and doing yeah. all kinds of stuff like that. So it's, I don't remember a lot of 2002, and mm-hmm. that's not a good thing, but it also <laughs> might not be a bad thing. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, our, our, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think our, our kids were embarking into college and all that, so... Yeah. Anyway, so it was a it was, it was a, a big year for all of us. So now, um, or no, let's see. No, they actually our oldest was graduating, I believe, from high school that year. So mm. anyway, so well, in two thousand and two, with the drop in tourism and recession following the attacks on nine eleven, uh, the company's focus was on trying to attract visitors to Disney's California Adventure, and Disneyland fell into a period of neglect. Uh, these years have become known as the Pressler era amongst Disneyland annual pass holders. Um, photos of overflowing trash cans, um, fading and chipped paint on building and attraction facades, burnt out light bulbs and marquees, um, dry rot on the haunted mansion, and posts about the crumbling infrastructure of the Main Street USA buildings flooded Disney fan forums. Um, Walt's Park appeared to be crumbling whilst Paul Pressler and Cynthia Harris focused on closing attractions without opening comparable new attractions and favoring retail opportunities in the resort along with propping up failing Disney's California Adventure. I had never heard about that before. That is just awful. It it was terrible. It it was really, we we call these the dark years. Um, it, it it was it was really depressing, and all of this was really um, it, it was all about the bottom line. Yeah, and 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 the park suffered tremendously as a result. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, it's just sad that that has to has to be in the history books on Disneyland. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, another failure in the history of New Tomorrowland occurs on January 27th when the groundwater jets of the Cosmic Waves water play area are disabled. According to the internet rumors, this was done because guests in wet clothes were damaging the seats in Honey, I Shrunk the Audience Theater nearby. Uh, In response to guest criticism that Disney's California Adventure did not have enough attractions for young children, a Bugs Land opened on October 7th, adjacent to the existing It's Tough to Be a Bug theater. The opening ceremony began with an introduction of Disney's new president of theme parks and resorts, replacing Paul Pressler, Jay Rizzullo, um, by by Disney uh, CEO Michael Eisner. This fourth land at the park offers guests a chance to see the world through a bug's eyes. The fictional backstory for Flick's Fun Fair states that Flick and the other bugs were inspired to create their own fun fair when Disney's California Adventure opened next door to them. When the Imagineers set out to build the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror, which was under construction when this land opened, they discovered the bugs in the garden and decided to open up Flick's Fair to Park's guests. In this bug-sized land youngsters will enjoy Flick's Flyers, which is a spinner ride at Flick's Fun Fair, 
um, inside of Bugs Land at Disney California Adventure Park. Um, guests ride in Flick's bug-made contraption fashioned from man-made objects. The vehicles appear to have been fashioned from food containers and have been stitched together um, by leaves and twigs to become balloons that whirl around a pie plate centerpiece. Um, the wait time sign resembled a button. Whirring, cranking gears are heard as they leave the ground. Heimlich's choo-choo train. On this one, guests board a train in the shape of Heimlich, the German-accented caterpillar from the film. Heimlich himself narrates the ride through the speakers on the trains. Heimlich's tendency to overeat is the theme of the ride, as the train appears to eat through oversized portions of human foods, candy corn, animal crackers, carrots, Brussels sprouts, and watermelon. Um, appropriate scents accompany the giant food set, so guests can sniff to attract them. Large bites have been taken out of all the food, so guests can tell that Heimlich has been there before. At the ride's end, Heimlich bids guests farewell and reminds them to eat their fruits and vegetables. I really hope they can move this to Fantasyland and find a place to plop it down there after after a Bugs Land goes away. Because this uh, this is so popular. How can they get rid of it? You know, if they do that, I I wish they would make it longer. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I someone would have to would have to do the the voice over with it. But I, gosh, I just I, I love this. I know it's not super popular. You can always usually just walk right on it. But I think the people who are in the know on Heimlich's Choo Choo Train just absolutely adore it. It's cute. Yeah. The only problem is you know you have Casey Junior Circus Train in Fantasyland, so I don't know if... But it doesn't have candy corn juicy watermelon. <laughs> oh, that's very good. You could do the accent when they redo the attraction. Just a little bit. <laughs> you know, they could even... I don't know. I wish they could put it in, like, downtown Disney or something. I, I would take it cute. anywhere. I wish they could bring it out to Walt Disney World. We'll appreciate it. You, you know, you never know. You know, now that makes sense. You know, put it when they expand um, Toy Story Land out there. I will take you it. Know. Yeah, so. Now, Francis's uh, Ladybug Boogie is a spinning attraction. Guests board one of six Francis Ladybugs with up to six adults and children aboard each bug. The ride spins guests around in a figure eight style. Unlike the Mad Tea Party, guests are unable to spin the ride. The ride features jazz music as guests are spun around whilst they boogie to the music. Tuck and Roll's Drive'em Buggies is a bumper car ride. In this attraction, up to two people can fit inside a bug-shaped bumper car as they ride around bumping other cars. There are 21 bumper cars on the floor at a time. During the ride, the car talks to guests with the voices of pill bugs, tuck, or roll, depending on the assigned car. Princess Dot's Puddle Park is a watertight play area featuring an oversized garden hose nozzle that sprays water at guests as well as a giant spigot that spurts water. This area provides the sensation of being a bug amongst the oversized garden tools. Our furry friends visiting the parks found that the sponsorship of the Kennel Club at Disneyland changed from Friskies to Purina. Um, Fantasmic went um, through an extensive rehabilitation, but the performance remained essentially the same. 
Um, Le Baton Rouge flew into the location formerly occupied by the one-of-a-kind shop in Le Gourmet and later Port d'Orleans in New Orleans Square. Le Baton Rouge is a fanciful play on words for the Louisiana capital, Baton Rouge, in, in case you hadn't guessed. It features Jack Skellington, Nightmare Before Christmas, and Haunted Mansion holiday items, along with other spooky Halloween-themed items items along with the items from the villain's lair and shop in Fantasyland that closed in 2002. In October, the first Chalk Disneyland Resort walk in the park, and Chalk, of course, is Children's Hospital of Orange County. Um, this saw 11,000 participants stroll through the resort. After the Baseball's Fall Classic had ended, the resort was awash in a sea of red as fans came out to cheer the Angels in a victory celebration. On October 31st, the American Space Experience exhibit in Tomorrowland added a mock-up of the Mars Odyssey spacecraft and rover that was to be used in the exploration of Mars in 2005 and 2006. Since March 1999, Radio Disney operated out of a glass booth in the middle of Tomorrowland beneath the formal, former People Mover loading platform that had been the former location of the lunching pad under the Observatron. Although Radio Disney is still on the air, the Radio Disney broadcast booth went silent in December. As the year closed, visitors to the Disneyland Resort fell to 12.7 million. In 2002. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was just a dark year. <laughs> it's, it, it was exciting, as exciting as it sounded. So. Yeah, yeah. Although, you know, the youngsters did like a Bugs Land. Oh, no, Flick's Fun Fair, I should say. And clearly, I love me some Heimlich's Choo Choo. So. Yeah. Yeah, well, farewell, Heimlich. Yeah. Since as of this recording, it will be transformed into the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Who knows, though? Maybe things could all, could all just fall through for Marvel. But well, you know, maybe, maybe if there's an Ant-Man attraction, Heimlich can be worked into that. Uh, see, now you got my dreams, like, really <laughs> hyped up for that. <laughs> well, we'll have to talk to our Imagineering friends and see if we well, can uh, uh, see if we can tilt the scales on this one. Yeah, well, you know they have to work homages in I'm, somehow. I know, you know, to it. So I know. Anyway, well, well, two thousand and three began with Disneyland executives trying to deal with the low visitor attendance at Disney's California Adventure. So there was very little in the budget to spend on new attractions at Disneyland. However, many thought it was an ill wind on a blustery day that blew a new bear into the former location of the Country Bear Jamboree, Winnie the Pooh. After the rise in popularity of Walt Disney's film adaptations of Winnie the Pooh, Walt Disney Imagineering made plans in the late 1970s for a Winnie the Pooh attraction at Disneyland's soon-to-be-reimagined Fantasyland. However, when Fantasyland reopened in 1983, there was a new Pinocchio attraction, but no Winnie the Pooh. Following the success of the 1988 film Who Framed Roger Rabbit, plans were made for a new section of the park located behind Fantasyland called Mickey's Toontown. This section of the park would recreate the Toontown scene in the film. 
One of the attractions that would have been built on the east side of this land was a Winnie the Pooh dark ride in which guests would ride in spinnable honeypots, much like the Mad Hatter teacup ride in Fantasyland, through the best scenes from the three Winnie the Pooh featurettes. And these plans were dropped. I'm not quite sure how it would have fit into Toontown. But this space, the space this attraction was to occupy and the spinnable vehicle design were worked into the Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin, which I think was a much better fit into this area. Yeah, I agree. It it just sounds, I mean, uh, granted, now that we know what Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin is, it's easier to say that, but... Yeah, I, I I don't think it would have worked. Yeah. Another plan in the mid-1990s conceived of an indoor-outdoor light boat ride with a Winnie the Pooh theme. Uh, this plan was shelved by 1999. So a new dark ride was planned. However... Due to the limited area available to Disneyland to expand, it was decided to replace a current attraction with this new dark ride. The Fantasyland attractions were ruled out due to their limited amount of available space and the age of the structures. Park executives were confident a Winnie the Pooh attraction would be popular and desired to place it in a land that could better accommodate the crowds. And Critter Country was chosen because Winnie the Pooh already had a meet-and-greet area in that land, and it had two popular attractions, Splash Mountain and Country Bear Jamboree. So Imagineers chose to replace the Country Bear Jamboree with Pooh due to the Jamboree's declining popularity. This required major excavation for space and leveling for the new attraction. When news of the Country Bear Jamboree's closing became public, many guests were once more upset at the loss of another classic attraction and again sought to change the park executives' minds. But there was no holding back poo. Do you think that if it would have been saved in this case and they would have held on to Country Bear Jamboree, do you think it'd still be around and regain popularity? Or do you think it would be like it is in... Walt Disney World, where it's just, you know, on on a busy day, you might get a couple crowded theaters, but for the most part, you're looking at at nearly empty theaters. Hmm. You know, it's funny. Every time I go into Country Bear Jamboree, the Magic Kingdom, it's a full theater. And and so I don't know if it's my timing or what. I I I think the problem with the Country Bear Jamboree at Disneyland was they overbuilt it. They thought it was going to be wildly popular and they built two theaters. Oh. And and that that was its problem. They they never filled the theaters. And so they ultimately in its final years they were running one theater. And I th- I think if they had opened it with one theater and they kept revolving the shows, yeah, you know, where we had the different theme shows, I think we had more than ultimately you had on a regular basis out in the Magic Kingdom. Um, th- th- I think it would have been popular, especially if they kept doing overlays to it. Um, yeah. I, you know. I could have told them they were crazy for having two theaters. Yeah, they. But you know, now what's too bad is is that you know some of the forward, future looking plans are to build behind 
Critter Country and expand back there as they're yeah. now moving more and more backstage um, to other areas. And, you know, it's too bad they couldn't have done it back then and, you know, have Winnie the Pooh out there as well. And, um, you know, and, you know, and then and, and really they, they didn't need two theaters, Country yeah. Bear, but it's too bad they couldn't keep Country Bear yeah, and have great. Winnie the Pooh. And I think it would have made that land a little more popular and have a better Winnie the Pooh attraction, as we will talk about in just a moment. Yeah. So now the budget for this attraction was set at a reported $30 million, but most of it was dedicated to transforming the Country Bear Jamboree show building. It was suggested that Critter Country could be remodeled to look like the Hundred Acre Woods from the A.A. Milne books, but the only significant change to the area was the removal of all references to bears. Well, except for one, of course. And, and a new meet-and-greet area was added for Winnie the Pooh and his friends. The mile-long bar was transformed into Pooh Corner, um, a British country cottage that included a display candy kitchen. The attraction opened on April 7th to coincide with the release of the animated film Piglet's Big Movie. And guests board a beehive-shaped vehicle for a three-and-a-half-minute exploration of the Hundred Acre Wood, designed primarily as a visual treat for young children. And it's filled with bright colors, gentle bounces, familiar Richard and Robert Sherman music, and a charming storyline. Upon leaving the outdoor load area, the vehicles enter indoors into the Hundred Acre Wood, where Pooh is again trying to get honey with a balloon. With Eeyore and the other characters is Gopher, who appears out of his hole to greet the guests. The vehicles move into the rain scene, moved from the second to last scene in the Magic Kingdom to the second scene in Disneyland's. Most of the experiences from here are identical to the Magic Kingdom's version. The vehicles move into the shortened Tigger scene before moving to Pooh's bedroom, um, similar to the Magic Kingdom. The vehicles move into the Heffalump and Woozle's dream sequence, where the Woozles with jack-in-the-box necks watch the guests. And this was formerly the original Country Bear Theater. A pink Tigger pins Pooh to the floor near some honey. Some of the effects of at this part of the attraction are similar to the Magic Kingdom's. Another poo bobs up and down in a balloon suspended above a whirling whirlpool of honey. And the mechanism was the one which once lowered Teddy Barra from the ceiling in Country Bear Jamboree. As the vehicles leave the scene, a subtle tribute to the Country Bear Jamboree is suspended above the archway. Um, the trophy heads of Max the Buck, Buff the Buffalo, and Melvin the Moose from Country Bear Jamboree can be seen if you look up and backwards whilst leaving the Heffalump Woozle Room. You also can't be in the very last row of the vehicle because the um, hive covers you too much and you can't see it. I've um, never even known to look for it. Yeah, well, now you know. I will, next time I'm out there. Yeah. Um, the heads, once believed to have been taken from Theater 2 of the Country Bear Playhouse, are actually the non-animatronic versions from the Mile Long Bar. Now, the vehicles enter the start of the finale scene where Boo is enjoying a smackerel of honey. The heffalumps can be seen flying off into Pooh's dreamland prior to several of Pooh's friends telling him to wake up. 
Moving along, guests pass Pooh's bed before moving on to show Pooh's friends, this time all sculpted figures with movement, celebrating his birthday. As the vehicles move to the unloading area, several of the gifts Pooh received for his party are shown and are moved back as the vehicles continue until they finally reach the load area. Now, the voice actors for this attraction include Jim Cummings as Pooh and Tigger, John Fiedler as Piglet, Andre Stoika as Owl, Peter Cullen as Eeyore, um, Kath Suchi as Kanga, Michael Goff as Gopher, and Peter Renaday as the narrator. Now, Imagineer Bruce Gordon said of the attraction, It's not a story about Pooh. We wanted to give guests a chance to be with Pooh. The idea is they've just joined Pooh and his friends who are off on one of their many adventures. I think we pulled that off. So, so, so Craig, how do you feel about this um, Pooh attraction? I enjoyed it the first time I did it, and uh, I thought highly of it from the very first time. And then, uh, but I only did it one time that trip, and then came back on our coast as I, I do after most trips out to Disneyland. And then once I did ours again, it sunk in like wow. Uh, our version is a lot better and at this point basically the only fond feelings I have of the Disneyland ones are I, I, I still love how the load unload is outside and mm-hmm. that's that's about it I like the transitions in and out of the building and yeah that's that's as much as I can praise it other than that once you get in the, the actual ride portion it's just it, it's lackluster yeah, yeah. Um, our granddaughter loves it because she loves Winnie the Pooh. So if the park gets too crowded, I'll cheer her up by saying, do you want to go ride Winnie the Pooh? She'll say yes, and we'll trek all the way over there and, you know, walk on it. Yeah, so. I I don't think I've ever had a trip to Disneyland. I, I think maybe the one time I went with my dad uh, a couple of years back. But other than that, I don't think I've had a, a trip to Disneyland where I haven't done it just because it is a walk-on almost all the time so yeah yeah now after all the rave reviews of Pooh's honey hunt in tokyo disneyland which is an e-ticket class attraction with full audio animatronic figures and a trackless ride system many like us found this disneyland version of the attraction a major disappointment Um, Its turnover rate with guests is low compared to the older classic dark rides in Fantasyland, and Pooh has shorter wait times than comparable Fantasyland attractions even on busy days. Uh, Those critical of this attraction point to these shorter wait times as evidence that the attraction is not well-liked as the other classic dark rides. Fans of this attraction claim the discrepancy in wait times is due to the attraction's remote location in the park. I think that if the Tokyo version had been constructed here, its remote location would not be an issue, Yeah, in it, my opinion. It, it is a remote location, for sure. I I didn't realize, I think, the first time I was there that you could kind of wander wander back that far. And, but at the end of the day, still, it, you, you can't tell me that people aren't looking at maps and seeing it on a map and knowing exactly where it is 
It's it, people don't just wander aimlessly at these parks. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's not realistic. Yeah. Yeah, and so whether or not you're a fan of this attraction, out of the four versions of this attraction, the Disneyland version is considered the least popular in terms of attendance. So in preparation for Disneyland's 50th anniversary celebration, the happiest homecoming on Earth, King Arthur Carousel was closed for extensive renovations and reopened on March 5th. These renovations included an entirely rebuilt turntable platform, a new computerized operating console and system which halts the carousel each time at the same spot. Removal of four rows of, uh, or or I should say a row of four horses to accommodate a four course wide bench and wheelchair clamps with an access ramp for ADA compliance, which reduced the count of horses from 72 to 68. The bench had originally been on the carousel and had been removed, put in storage and forgotten for decades until it was rediscovered in a warehouse and restored for reinstallation on the carousel. Now, Disney's California Adventure finally had a hit when Disney's Aladdin, a musical spectacular, debuted in the Hyperion Theater in Hollywoodland on January 16th, transporting guests to the land of Agrabah. This 45-minute Broadway-style show is based on Disney's 1992 animated film Aladdin, with music by Alan Menken and lyrics by Howard Ashman and Tim Rice. The musical replaced the venue's previous production, The Power of Blast, which had been very popular with guests. Many of the classic scenes and songs from the film are recreated on stage, and some of the action even spills out into the aisles, such as Prince Ali's arrival in Agrabah on the back of an elephant, which I think is like a showstopper in that. Whilst most of the show was scripted, the genie's dialogue routinely changes to reflect current events in the news and popular culture, which adds comedy and repeatability to the show. Alan Menken composed and wrote lyrics for a new song for this production called To Be Free. So, um, now, Craig, I know you've seen Disney's Aladdin the Musical Spectacular. I only saw it once, though. It was... Really? Yeah, I... Because it would have closed after Christmas of 2015, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... I, yeah, the the first couple trips that I took out with the Diz in 2013, and I think I only, I don't even know if I got a trip in 2014. If I did, only, only one, but it was just always so jam-packed that Aladdin had never, had never gotten in the mix. And then when, when I was out there with Kylie on our honeymoon Adventures by Disney trip, part of part of that was that they had had one show where we had reserved seats and so that was the the only way that i was able to get in because at that point i think it had been announced that it was that it was closing it it had to have been and uh so yeah every show was very difficult to get in in that time period and otherwise, I would have I would have went my entire life without never seeing Aladdin, and uh, I'm oh glad I didn't miss it because it was it was spectacular, truly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was. It, this was uh, uh, not to be missed. Whenever we went to Disneyland, 
it was it was so well done and even after 10 years um people were very upset when it was announced well they tried to close it once and they were going to replace it with a Toy Story, the musical from the cruise ship. Yes, yeah. And the hue and cry was so loud, Disney changed their mind. But there there was no holding back Frozen, as we'll talk about in um, a future yeah. future episode. And I'll, I'll spoil <laughs> um, that one. Yeah. I still haven't seen the Frozen one, either. <laughs> there, I think I've seen it twice. Uh, the, the repeatability factor is just not there for me. Yeah. I'll see it after this next trip. I want to make that a uh, a priority to sneak in for the forty five minutes to see it. Mm-hmm. So, well, they've already shortened it. <laughs> so, oh, seriously? They've already, they've already cut. They've already cut a scene from it. Yeah. So, anyway, well, Aladdin wasn't the only stage spectacular to open at Disney's California Adventure in two thousand and three. Playhouse Disney Live on Stage opened at Disney's California Adventure on April 11th in the former location of the ABC Soap Opera Bistro as part of the park's continuing efforts to address guest complaints about not enough attractions for youngsters and the large number of restaurants. Uh, Let's take a look at the opening day press release. Playhouse Disney features Disney-quality entertainment that delights and encourages kids to learn through fun, imaginative, and creative play. Roly-poly Oli, this Emmy Award-winning series chronicles the touching and sometimes hilarious world of Oli, a six-year-old robot boy who lives with his family in a magical old robot world. Um, Stanley, the newest original series on the Playhouse Disney block, Stanley takes guests into the life of a very curious little boy with a passion for facts. He searches the animal world for clues about how things work. Jim Henson's Bear in the Big Blue House. Bear, the seven-foot-tall, warm, friendly, and understanding host, invites the audience into his big blue house every day to play, learn, and sing and dance with his friends in this Emmy and Parents' Choice Award-winning television series. Of course, this spawned new guest and annual pass holder complaints about the brightly colored exterior attraction signs on the Streamline Modern Show building that did not blend in with the 1930s golden age of Hollywood theme of the district. Many annual pass holders took this sign as evidence that the Imagineers and park executives had finally given up on continuity of theme for the struggling park. In February, just weeks before the start of Operation Iraqi Freedom and the beginning of the Iraq War, federal officials ordered the long-term closing of the airspace above Disneyland and Walt Disney World, ostensibly to protect against terrorist attacks. Without public debate or even a request from the new Homeland Security Department, Congress bent its rules to help the Walt Disney Company secure the no-fly zones. The decision has angered pilots to accuse Disney of manipulating terrorism fears for a commercial aim, to close public airspace over its parks as a way to ban competitors' aerial advertising planes and sightseeing helicopters. Personally, I have no problem with this. I don't want to see those things. Oh, yeah, no, I, 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 I hate them. I know, I know a lot of people enjoy them, especially uh, out here to... To keep an eye on construction projects. So I, I totally get it. But 
it's never been something I've been interested in. I I would rather just keep them all away. Well, out in um, Disneyland, they would fly over, with, you know, trailing their banners for advertising, and it it just yeah. it just it broke the you know magic and the theme. I want to say I remember whatever. that from my '99 trip that I, mm-hmm. I remember seeing that. Yeah. So, um, the film Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, had its world's premiere on June 28, 2003 at Disneyland in California and featured the longest red carpet in history, trailing 900 feet down Main Street into New Orleans Square. This film was inspired by the 1967 Disneyland attraction Pirates of the Caribbean. Now, Disneyland closed its doors to the public to host its red first red carpet premiere at the park, an event that cost about $2 million. The film's extravagant premiere welcomed an eclectic group of guests from the film's stars Kira Knightley, Orlando Bloom, and Johnny Depp to Drew Carey, Amanda Bynes, Tay Diggs, Gary Busey, Raquel Welch, David Hasselhoff, Eric Idle, and even more. Walt Disney Studio executives in attendance included Nina Jacobson, Chuck Viani, and Jason Reed, and Dick Cook. Uh, Michael Eisner was a no-show. During more than the six-hour private event, attendees took in attractions such as the Haunted Mansion, Big Thunder Mountain, and, of course, the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction before and after watching the film on a giant outdoor screen. Disney spared no expense as the park came alive with performing pirates, including stilt walkers, jugglers, musicians, and a disco-inspired pirate band, the latter of which played aboard the sailing ship Columbia, which was docked in front of the screen. A post-screening fireworks extravaganza was timed to the film's Klaus Baudelt-composed score. Disneyland is a magical place, and to be here in the place where Pirates of the Caribbean originated for the premiere of this movie, I can't think of any better place we could have done this, said Dick Cook, chairman of Walt Disney Studios. And, and of course, I think they've pretty much done this for every film. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, I, I know they took the last one. I think the premiere for the last one was in Shanghai, though. It was. Um, but... I, funny enough, I was actually in Walt Disney World the weekend that Pirates of the Caribbean uh, premiered in theaters. Not not for its world premiere, but for its actual theatrical release weekend. And I remember uh, we, I don't even know if we really had it on our radar as a family that this was coming out. It was, you know, just a weird time for for us and going to see movies and stuff so we were we were in Walt Disney World and I think it was raining during the afternoon so we did like everyone did back in the day when it would rain at Walt Disney World we said okay well maybe we'll go see a movie and saw a couple things about Pirates of the Caribbean during during our trip so we went and saw it and then the, the rest of the weekend they were handing out posters and whatever they could and like I got a piece of the prop from one of the uh, like pieces of treasure that was used in the film they were given that away too like and I think that was at Walt Disney World that might have been with the DVD release later but 
Um, no, they went they went all out for it, and uh, that that sparked the pirate mania for mm-hmm. for me at least. And uh, you know, then then things happened, but <laughs> that first one was really really that was amazing. Good. It was it was so much fun. I enjoyed that film. I, I like the second too. It was the third mm-hmm. that ruined it for me. Is that the one where they hang children in the beginning of it? Yes. <laughs> Which that one is. is that? I thought, oh my gosh. When when a and, movie and, starts with a musical number and hangings of children, you know it's not gonna end well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um yeah. <laughs> well, on September 5th, uh, another tragic accident took place when train number two, the I.M. Brave, derailed on the Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. The accident occurred about 11.20 a.m. after the small red engine and the open-top passenger cars sped through the desert landscape and uphill into a tunnel where the cars separated and the locomotive vehicle derailed. John Nicoletti, a spokesman for Anaheim, said the passenger cars broke free of the locomotive, which was found derailed at the top of an incline. The cars were at the bottom of the grade, about 20 to 30 feet from the engine. Moments after the accident, riders climbed out of the cars and ran out of the attraction, calling for help. Someone is hurt bad. It's really serious. Get someone up here, cried two young men running from the site of the accident. The scene was chaotic, officials said, as riders ran from the train and called out for help to bewildered park guests. Authorities said it took Anaheim firefighters and paramedics 20 minutes to get the trapped passengers out. Frontierland was quickly sealed off and cast members in coonskin caps kept guests from entering the area. Emergency crews set up a staging and treatment area near the Riverbell Terrace, a restaurant not far from the entrance to Big Thunder Mountain. Marcelo Torres, 22 of Gardena, died in the accident as a result of extensive internal bleeding from severe blunt force trauma to his chest, causing rib fractures, lacerations to his lung, and other injuries. Emergency workers said they had to extricate him from the front passenger car. Ten other riders, ranging in age from 9 to 47, retreated for moderate to minor injuries at hospitals. We are shocked and saddened by this, said Cynthia Harris, president of the Disneyland Resort. Our hearts and prayers go out to the family of the victims and all the people who were injured. Later in the day, Michael Eisner attended a news conference at the park to express his condolences to the victims' families. For the last 50 years, the safety and well-being of our theme park, our guests, and our employees has been and continues to be our top priority, he said. Walt Disney Company officials declined to comment in detail, saying Anaheim Police and the state's Division of Occupational Safety and Health are investigating the incident. They said the ride would remain closed until the inquiries are completed. The investigation determined the cause of the accident was caused by a mechanic who did not tighten bolts and attach a safety wire to a wheel assembly. The assembly fell off, leading to a partial derailment in which the lead passenger car slammed into the locomotive's undercarriage as the train entered the last turn of the tunnel, immediately preceding B-lift. The attraction would remain closed until 2004. 
In Tomorrowland, American Space Experience, sponsored by NASA, ended its mission on October 26th. This exhibit, celebrating 40 years of NASA achievements, was closed to make room for the new FastPass area for Buzz Lightyear's Astro Blasters. Resort attendance stayed flat in 2003 with 12.7 million visitors. If there was a silver lining, it was that attendance at Disney's California Adventure had increased 13% to 5.3 million, still well below the forecasted 7 million visitors to that park. Well, it's that time again for this day in Disney history. This time we are looking at the week of April 29th, and we have a whole new contestant to challenge Craig and his Disney knowledge. And I am delighted to bring back another one of my dear friends and colleagues from the Dis Unplugged Disneyland edition. And welcome Nancy Johnson to Connecting with Walt. <laughs> I did the little Kermit arms and everything. Oh, so Nancy, it is great to talk to you and see you. It has I been know. a really long time. I know it's been crazy, all this stuff, and we actually spent the weekend at the park. Actually, <laughs> scored a DVC one-bedroom villa the other weekend. So that's a miracle. That's a shocker. <laughs> I know, right? So, so yes, yeah. very fun. Excellent. And we saw that they're running Pixar cartoons on the uh, little kid TVs in the lobby now. They're uh, running the Pixar shorts instead of the Mickey cartoons like they usually run for Pixar Fest. Yeah, that's great. I'm looking forward to um, getting down there and seeing it in a couple of weeks. So It's anyway. very Pixar-y. Yeah. So, so Craig is uh, is here, and he is. You know, you're going to be challenging him. You have a lot of Disney knowledge, also. So this is sort of going to be a battle of the Disney titans today. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> dun, dun, dun. For for our our friends at home who want to to play the home version of the game, uh, just to, to let you know what the rules are. Uh, when I present uh, a multiple choice question, uh, if our contestants or you at home, if you choose not to hear the multiple choice answers and you get the answer correct, you will receive three points. If you choose to hear the multiple choice answers and then get the answer correctly, you will receive two points. If you ask to have one incorrect answer removed and you get the answer right, you will get receive one point or if your um, opponent answers the question incorrectly you can steal it and answer it correctly for one point and remember at home or or even here no no googling binging yay hooing or or anything else that's out there for the answers so so nancy are you all set any questions Mm, bring it on, baby. All right. Bring it on. Well, Nancy, since you are our uh, guest dizzer here, would you like to answer the first question or would you like to pass it to Craig? Ooh, that's a good question. Yes, there's strategy involved in this decision. Do, do. Oh, we, we don't have the rights to that music. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
with it. I'm going right. to take wow. this question. You, okay. I think you might be the first person to ever actually just go ahead. So, yeah, I, I, I go head first into a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hope we're not pulling you out feet first. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. Disneyland's Sleeping Beauty Castle walkthrough attraction was dedicated on April 29th. 1957. What child film star participated in the dedication? This is April 29th, 1957. Ooh. I'm going to hear the options. All right. Is it A, or was it? A. Catherine Beaumont, who is the voice actress in Walt Disney's Peter Pan and Alice in Wonderland. B. Haley Mills, who at the time was under contract with the Walt Disney Studio to star in the film Pollyanna. C. Shirley Temple, who had presented Walt Disney with an honorary Academy Award for Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Or D. Annette Funicello, one of the Mouseketeers from the popular Walt Disney Mickey Mouse Club television series. Ooh. Well, while my, I'm, I'm, I had to, I had to sit there and think about it. My, my first brain originally when you read the when you read the question the first time um was thinking Shirley Temple before you even got into the the options but knowing that Walt is a pitch man and never never lost an opportunity to promote to promote something I'm gonna go with Haley Mills okay final answer Haley Mills Okay, that is incorrect, but good, good logic. Craig, do you want to take a stab at this? Uh, hmm, yeah, I, I will. So, it doesn't cost me anything for, for <laughs> guessing, so no. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with uh, Catherine Belmont. All right, that is incorrect. You know what we always wow. say on this show, Nancy? Go with your gut. Go with your gut! I always was Shirley Temple. It was oh. Shirley Temple takes part in the dedication of the Sleeping Beauty Castle walkthrough at Disneyland. How old joining was she at that point? She, she Bef- was an adult because yeah. joining yeah. Miss Temple is, is Walt Disney and Miss Temple's oldest daughter, Linda, son, Charles, and youngest daughter, Lori. In 1939, child star Shirley Temple had presented Walt with an honorary Academy Award, won Big Oscar and Seven Little Ones for Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And that award can be viewed today in the lobby of the Walt Disney Family Museum in San Francisco. So, okay. Well, it's still an even even playing field. So, okay, Craig, it's your turn now. So, for April 30th, On April 30th, 1969, Disney executives hold a press conference to make an announcement. What was the announcement? What was the year again, sorry? April 30th? April 30th, 1969. I'll go with multiple choice. Okay, is it A, plans for its Florida project in Orlando? B, the official opening date for the Haunted Mansion at New Orleans Square in 
Disneyland. That's the announcement of the official opening date. Announcing that Charles Boyer was coming out of retirement to perform the title song for the upcoming animated film, The Aristocats. Or D, the castle in the center of Walt Disney World would be named for the Disney princess, Cinderella. Oh boy, that's all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't even have one of those that, that seems like it, it is oh, ahead on, of just, the other. So, it, yeah, it, it's just... Really? Really? Puzzle it out. Think it out. Oh, mm-hmm. I, I'm... I, talk it out, baby. Talk I, it out. I have <laughs> nothing to talk out on that. It's, it's just... I, I'm just going to go with... Um, I'm, I'm going to go with D, because I don't... The castle in the center of Walt Disney World would be named for the Disney princess Cinderella? Yeah. That is incorrect. Okay, Nancy, it's to you now. So is it for this announcement on April 30th, 1969, did Disney executives announce plans for its Florida project in Ohio or the opening official opening date for the Haunted Mansion at New Orleans Square in Disneyland or that Charles Boyer was coming out of retirement to perform the title song for the upcoming animated the film The Aristocats? Well, considering 69 was the year of quite a bit of renovation and new things at Disneyland, I am going to go with the Haunted Mansion because two years for, for building Walt Disney World in Florida to get a hotel up in during that era was a little on the rough side. So, you know, with the scope of that project and the fact that they had to do all the the digging and the the water removal and stuff. So I think it's too it's too quick to get Florida. So I'm going with Haunted Mansion. Well, you know, keep in mind Disneyland was built in a year and a day, and I the know, answer but it, they is didn't have to... A plans for its Florida <gasps> really? project in Orlando during a press conference at the Ramada Inn on Highway 50. In I have no idea how you pronounce this town. Um, Craig, O-C-O-E-E. Ocoee. Ocoee, okay. Uh, In Ocoee, Florida, which at the time was a little suburb on the outskirts of Orlando, Don B. Tatum, the president of Walt Disney World Company, details the more than three years of planning for a destination vacation. It has been two years since special legislation was passed to allow Disney to build its Florida project. And now the Disney Company has rented out the entire Ramada Inn for Walt Disney World's official first press event. A large circus tent outside the hotel is filled with models and artist renderings of Walt Disney World for this three-day gala. Amongst the Disney officials in attendance is Walt's brother Roy O. Disney and Disney publicist Charles Ridgway. A 16mm, 17-minute film titled Walt Disney World Phase 1 is screened at the Parkwood Cinema Theater. It shows the master plan and artist's depictions for a theme park, which will open in 1971. Yeah, that threw so, me off because I was going with the, the Florida Project, the Epcot film, being mm-hmm. the official announcement. So that's why I didn't even consider it. But yeah, yeah. But these are well, the plans. This is what the Magic Kingdom and all that was going to look like. 
Fair See, enough. I was thinking about about the whole redoing, you know, how they had to redo Bay Lake. They yeah. had to get the water all set up. They had to dig an entire lake, you know, and build and move sand around. And yeah, it, it, it is amazing what they did. People don't realize it unless they listen they, to the show. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it, it was a it was the largest um, civil engineering project in the United States at the time. Yep. So. Okay, back to you, Nancy. So here you go. Here's your chance to get on the board. Okay. Um, for May 1st. Rolling baby. <laughs> we're into a new month. This oh. this made its debut on May 1st, 1989. May 1st, 1989. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> <sighs> My gut is saying don't go for the go for the questions, but I'm gonna go ahead and play it safe and go for the choices. Okay. Is it A? Typhoon Lagoon Water Theme Park at Walt Disney World. B, the Wonders of Life Pavilion at Epcot Center. C, the Disney MGM Studios Theme Park. Or D, the animated film The Little Mermaid. Okay, my gut response was in that list. Dang it doesn't make it any easier because there are other choices because my first visit was october of 89 mm -hmm. to florida so everything was already there i want to say the and i know i'm probably going to get get it wrong but i'm gonna say what my gut was and say the disney mgm studios theme park you you prove you prove to go with your gut that is the answer. The Disney. I could have gotten three points. <laughs> <laughs> Dang the Disney, it! The Disney MGM Studios <laughs> theme park of Walt Disney World opens to the public. It is Disney's fifth theme park in the world. Although it rains throughout the day, the park is packed. It is the largest opening day press event in Walt Disney World history. Attractions in the park include this is a, this is going to be a trip down memory lane. The Walt Disney Studios Animation Studios where guests can watch story writers, animators, artists and technicians produce motion pictures, The Great Movie Ride, Superstar Television, The Monster Sound Show, The Great Movie yeah. Ride, uh, oh, that's on there twice. A replica of the entrance to Groman's Chinese Theater. Um, yep. And this features a courtyard for celebrity handprints and signatures. A program called Star Today will allow celebrities over the years to leave their mark. The very first yep. Star Today is original Mouseketeer Annette Funicello. And released on the same day at the Animation Studios is a nine-minute short titled Back to Neverland. This special mm -hmm. film features Walter Cronkite and Robin Williams. Robin Williams. Amongst the Hollywood legends visiting the park are George Burns and Bob Hope, who helped cut the film strip ribbon dedicating the studios. None of that is there today. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I met Bob and Dolores at the mm -hmm. theme park at, at, really? at Hollywood Studios one year, and they were driving around in this little white electric kind of golf cart thing. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. When 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 we we were there over the years, we watched because we when we were there on our honeymoon. The park was in its like soft opening and all that, and um, we watched some of the Star Today programs. I, I think we watched the Betty White one. And there were a couple of others that, because they used to do them just boom, 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 all in a row yeah. to get 
handprints in there. Mm-hmm. And um, it was it was a fun little park in its time. It was. I really liked yeah. it. And, you, you know, the catwalk bar up above. Oh, yes. The, um, the character breakfast in mm-hmm. the, what is now the, you know, Disney Junior building. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stuff like yeah. that. But it'll be a whole new park soon. Um, yes. Nancy, two points. There you go. Woo-hoo. Okay. There you go. You're in the lead. Do the dance. Okay. Do the dance. Come on, Craig. Okay, Craig, here you go. You all ready? Okay. Okay. This World's Fair exhibit by the Walt Disney Studio makes its New York debut on May 2nd. (laughs) Huh. Not even going to give me the year? Uh, Well, obviously, duh. I'm guessing it's going to be 64. Never assume. Uh, Um... This, well, when, when you say, I don't, oh gosh. See, I want to, the thing that I'm not as familiar with is with the, obviously I know the, the four major attractions, but I don't know if you're trying to trick me in that there was maybe like a little <laughs> exhibit after the attractions where you saw more and that's what you're referring to. So I'm going to have to go with multiple choice because I think you're trying to trick me. But now I'm going to find out you're not. <laughs> Would he be a weasel? I, oh, Craig, Craig and I have been co-hosting this show for three years. He knows, yes. he knows me well. Um, a, um, is it Progress Land, which opened in 1964? B, It's a Small World, which opened in 1964? The te- or C, the Technicolor cartoon short Mickey's Surprise Party, which was at the 1939 New York World's Fair. Or D, Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln, which was at the 1964 New York World's Fair. Hmm. Well, that didn't help. Uh, gosh. Well, I did leave one out of 1964. <laughs> you did. You did. So I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with Progress Land. Okay, that is incorrect. Nancy. Good luck, Nancy. Okay, is read it, them again one more time. Okay, this, it is, is it It's a Small World from the 1964 fair? The Technicolor cartoon short, Mickey's Surprise Party, it, which was at the 1939 uh, New York World's Fair. And, and astute listeners also know it was at the competing um, fair in San Francisco on Treasure Island in the same year. And uh, or it was a great moments with Mr. Lincoln, um, also at the 1964 World's Fair. I'm going Small World. Okay, that is incorrect. Oh, the answer is D. Yes, Walt Mm. Disney's fourth World Fair exhibit at the 1964-65 New York World's Fair, Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln, finally makes its New York debut after weeks of technical problems. The fair had opened on April 22nd. Yeah, see, I thought it was even longer. I thought it was delayed, like, months. So that's my memory not serving me well. So, okay. That's me not, not really paying much attention to the dates on the, fair, on the world's fair at least you're honest years before i was born okay. <laughs> okay so um okay nancy i believe it's your turn 
Okay. So, um, okay, um, May 3rd. Ground is officially broken for this Disney project on May 3rd, 1969. Ooh. Ooh. And ooh. I'm having another one of those gut moments. Do I go with the questions or not? Because I'm in so much of a lead, I'm going to have you spit out the choices for our listeners. Okay. All Is right. A, the California Institute of the Arts in Valencia, California. B, Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida. C, the Country Bear Jamboree at Disneyland, California. Or D, Tokyo Disneyland in Japan. So it's May 3rd with no year. Nineteen sixty nine. Sixty nine. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not Tokyo Disneyland. I can tell you that. Um, and my other three choices. California are Institute of the Arts, the Walt Arts. Disney World, or the Country Bear Jamboree at Disneyland. I'm thinking number. I'm thinking B, because Cal Arts had been around. A lot of the nine old men had taught at Cal Arts. Um, Alice and Alice and Mark had little Cal Arts moments. Um, I'm going with B. B, your final answer: Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida. Yes, because if they announced it in April, then why wouldn't it be? then why wouldn't it be in May they would start breaking ground? You, you know, you'd think that, and that's probably why I added that on there, but it was actually A, ground is officially broken for the California Institute of the hey, Arts. Hey, you didn't Valencia, give me a chance California. to steal. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, Craig, <laughs> I'm going to give you that one point. I will actually <laughs> be honest, too. That is what I was going to choose. Oh, excellent. So You knew that then. Very good. I okay. didn't. I've I done just, that nice. once before. I, nice. I didn't think you would pick out, since they were all bigger projects, I didn't think you would pick out Country Bears as the one the one small thing to take place in there. So mm-hmm. You never knew. Yeah, but he's Weasley. <laughs> I am. He is. <laughs> but, and I meant that with every bit of love good. and affection. <laughs> But yeah, um, yeah. Also known as Cal Arts, the school was founded by Walt Disney when the Shenard School of Music and the Los Angeles Conservatory merged in the early '60s. And although Walt Disney had passed away a few years before this groundbreaking, the Cal Arts student newspaper will be called Walt, since Cal Arts was the result of his vision and a large endowment from him and the Disney family. I totally thought Cal Arts had been around earlier in the day. Yeah. No, but well, I mean, it, you know, in 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 other forms like Chenard and the yeah. Los Angeles Conservatory and stuff like that. So, okay, well, good. Well, okay. okay, Craig, you're on the boards too, so you're you're halfway there to Nancy. So it's two to one in Nancy's favor, and Craig, it is your turn now. Mm-hmm. Disneyland guests welcome the opening of this on May fourth, nineteen seventy seven. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to take a shot in the dark. 
and I'll probably be wrong, but it's my only chance because Nancy gets the last question. Uh, I'm going to go with Space Mountain. Final answer? Yeah. You are absolutely correct. Space Space Mountain opened in Disneyland. This was based on concepts by Imagineer John Hench. Space Mountain at Disneyland was designed by Bill Watkins. It also, also opening as part of the Space Mountain complex is the Starcade Arcade, Space Place Restaurant, and the Tomorrowland Space Stage. Space Mountain will have its official grand opening on May 27th. Very good. Four to two. So, Nancy, you could either um, tie this or or even win it, depending upon how bold you are. So, Ooh. Okay, so, Nancy, this becomes official on May 5th, 2006. May 5th, 2006. Ooh. I'm thinking of something. My my brain is thinking of something. But I'm not going to be bold. I am going to be mild sauce okay. today. Okay. So No bold and zingy for me. So is it A, the Walt Disney Company officially enters the Blu-ray market? B, ABC Sports becomes ESPN on ABC, utilizing ESPN graphics. C. The debut of the Disney Channel film, High School Musical, became the highest rated premiere at the time. Or D. Disney completes its acquisition of Pixar Studios. I want to say I'm trying to remember if High School Musical came out a year before High School Musical 2 because we have this lovely video of Zoe who is now almost 13 and would probably die from this um, of her acting out High School Musical 2 songs Sharpay songs um, in front of the digital the big flat screen tv we got <laughs> so and and i mean she would get the chair and everything to do the the song that sharpay sings in the pool <laughs> so um but i can't remember how old she was oh, this is 2006 and this I is i know this is the first one. high school musical yeah, I know. She was one, so I'm saying she was two. I'm gonna... Hang on. I'm thinking. But Blu-ray... Blu-ray comes somewhere right around there, too, within at least a year or so of that. Everything happens in a tiny window, mister. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? Um, well, I'm going to go with the gut and go High School Musical 1. Okay. All right. Unfortunately, My gut you, said you, were, no, it you, were to, you were true to your school, but that's not it. Um, Craig, so 
What became official on May 5th, 2006? I really don't know, but I'm guessing you put the Pixar in there to to really mess around with me. And <laughs> I'm you know what? I'm just going for it since I I already won this one. You should. So go go with Pixar. You know, you're right. I did put it in there to mess around with you, and you are correct. <laughs> Disney's acquisition of Pixar Animation Studios is completed. I Pixar finally got is, it. <laughs> you finally got one. I Pixar know, is it was... now a wholly owned subsidiary of the Walt Disney Company. Just so you know, Nancy Craig has gotten every Pixar-related question wrong. Yeah. It's become a running gag. And I'm not as gag. good with my Pixar. I'm, <laughs> n- I'm just not as good with my Pixar. And I got I got stuck in the memories. The memories of small, blonde-headed children uh, mocking the TV. Oh, I know how that goes. <laughs> well, okay, so, what was the date on the Blu-ray? It's it, You were right. It's 2006 also. It is it a, just out. a different month? Just a different month, yeah. yeah it was, everything I think was, it was so later freaking in close the together. It was it was later in the year. I think um I think same thing ABC Sports it was towards the end of the year, I think. High School Musical was in the fall, wasn't it? You know, it's funny I didn't jot the date down for that. So, All right. um Google. like I usually do. I don't know why. So, um anyway, well, Craig, congratulations. Yay, um, you Craig. came out ahead this week 5 to 2. Nancy, that means we need you to come back next week. Challenge uh, well, challenge. Well, there we your go. Honor. I'd be thrilled to. Excellent. Well, we will look forward to having and High School you Musical next week. 2006, January. I'm so sorry. Oh, January okay. 20th, 2006. There you go. There's your answer. Thank you. So uh, uh, there you go. The bonus. We couldn't leave people hanging for like an entire week to yeah. addendum it. <laughs> All right. Well, we will look forward to seeing you next week for our um, This Day in Disney History quiz. So many books, films, articles, interviews, and lectures were sourced for this episode of 60 Years of Disneyland, including The Disneyland Story, The Unofficial Guide to the Evolution of Walt Disney's Dream by Sam Genoway, and The Disneyland Encyclopedia by Chris Stroder. Some of the websites I checked out um, for articles were the Orange County Register, the Los Angeles Times, Disney Extinct Attractions, the Disney Parks blog, the Disney Wiki, uh, Laughing Place, and Yesterland. I'd also like to thank my lovely research assistant and wife, Carol Bowling, for her invaluable work locating the additional material I needed for this episode. So join us next time when we conclude this series and um, 60 Years of... um, Disneyland The New Millennium, where we rounded out with a look at 2004 and 2005. So, Craig, until next time, where can our listeners connect with you on the Diz Unplugged? You can find me Tuesdays on the Walt Disney World edition. You can find me on Thursdays on the Universal edition, uh, random days on the Diz Daily Fix. And, of course, you can always connect with me on my social media channels, uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Teleclaster. But what about you, Michael? Well, you can always send me messages at Michael at WDWinfo.com. On social media, I'm at Twitter at MBowling121. Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling. That has the um, Connecting with Walt um, little logo on there. 
Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling the Diz. And of course, you can connect with me and Craig on the Connecting with Walt Twitter page at Connecting Walt for even more um, little interesting tidbits about history and, and uh, to, um, you know, and little interesting comments from me and Craig from time to time. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studios, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes at disunplugged.com and look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings. And remember... um, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. And thank you for making us a part of your day. (laughs) ¶¶